Well, very pleasant uh, Lord's Day to each one of you. My Bible is open to the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11 in the passage that our brother Kerry read for us just a few moments ago. We will uh, be in that text here in just a few moments. It's certainly uh, good for me to see all of you. It seems like the last month or so uh, my schedule has been all over the place as I have been away preaching in Jonesboro about a month ago and then the following Sunday I think I uh, became sick on Saturday morning or Friday evening and wasn't able to be here that Sunday and then we had were gone on a family trip that was scheduled a number of months ago last Sunday uh, and so I am, am glad to be here with each of you this morning. Uh, glad to see so many of your smiling faces. We have a number of guests with us today, and we are certainly glad that you have decided to come and to worship God with us here at Fairview Park. And it's good to see some of our own number who have been sick and away over the last few weeks back with us. And it's certainly good for me personally to see my whole family here, and several of you have commented about that. It seems like the last, uh, I don't know, seven or eight weeks we have just had one sickness after another, and uh, one of us has gotten sick and gotten over it for a few days, and then another one will get sick, and uh, I guess that's what it means by sharing as a family. I don't know. But hopefully we're past all of that now, if the Lord wills, and uh, we will hopefully all be here for a number of months, at least it's our intention uh, over the summer to, to be here. But I know that this time of year is a busy time for many of us as uh, many of you will be traveling over the next few weeks and next few months, and uh, that certainly is good that we have maybe a little break in our normal schedule to go and to visit family, to visit with friends, uh, to go on trips together as a family and to enjoy all of that time, but it makes it a little bit difficult for me as a preacher to know exactly what to preach uh, because I don't know who's going to be here from week to week. And that's somewhat the case this morning as we're going to look at a lesson in our series as we're thinking about the theme of being more like Jesus this year. Uh, but next Sunday, hopefully, since it is not uh, Mother's Day or any holiday, uh, it's, it's my intention to get back to our current issues series and to look at a second lesson. We looked at a first lesson last month of, from 1 Corinthians chapter 6 about glorifying God in our bodies and just uh, drew some kind of basic text or truths out of that particular text. And it's my intention next Sunday to get back to that text or that thought and to begin to make some specific applications. So if you're going to be in town next Sunday, plan to be here. If you know of someone who could benefit from those lessons, invite them uh, to come and to be with us. I appreciate so much, uh, Philip especially, and his willingness to fill in for me on short notice a few weeks ago when I was sick and then he and Xavier preaching last week. I haven't had the opportunity yet to to watch those lessons, but I did get on our YouTube channel and saw that Philip's lesson had like over 300 views already. And I'm thinking, wow, uh, I, I, he's not here this morning, but I was going to ask him, how many of those views did you view yourself? <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that is great. Um, Br Brother Richard Forrester runs analytics on, for me and the elders quite often about all of the content that we put out on our website and with our e-newsletter that goes out once a month and our YouTube channel and Facebook Live and all of that. And it's just amazing, the hundreds and thousands of people you may not ever meet those people, but probably in this country and different parts of the world, I know, are viewing biblical content from this congregation. And that certainly 
is a wonderful, wonderful thing. But I appreciate those two brothers and the gifts that God has given to them and their, their willingness to use them. The Apostle Paul, of course, makes the famous statement in the book of Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 when he says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Probably all of us, even the young ones in the audience this morning, know that particular verse. Every person who has lived to be old enough to know the difference between right and wrong has sinned. Every person, the Apostle Paul says, without exception. That includes the young and the old. That includes the rich and the poor. That includes the educated and the uneducated. That includes the Christian and the non-Christian. All of us have sinned against our righteous and holy and great and good God. And yet oftentimes we think of sinners as only those maybe who are outside of Christ. And even more specifically than that, sometimes we think of those who are sinners as only those whose lives are dominated by sins. Only those, at least in our minds, who are guilty of, quote, the big sins, right? We think of those who are sinners as maybe being those who are homosexuals or those who are alcoholics those who are drug addicts or sex addicts, those who are child molesters or rapists or thieves or serial killers and on and on, our list may go that those people are sinners. And certainly those kinds of people are sinners. But if we are not careful, we who have been saved can look at such people with contempt. We can look down upon them and we can be kind of like the Pharisee and the publican there that Jesus tells that little parable or story about in Luke chapter 18. And we can be like the Pharisee and, oh, Father, I thank you that I'm not like other people. I'm not unjust. I'm not an extortioner. I'm not a swindler. I fast. I, I do all these things. And I'm certainly glad that I'm not like this tax collector, this sinner down here. How do we see people whose lives are neck deep in sin? Do we see them as people who are beneath us and unworthy of our time and of our attention? Or do we see them as people who are in need of a Savior? Jesus Christ, as we'll think about this morning, came to earth to save sinners. And while he was here, he spent much time with sinners. So how did he treat those people? As we continue our yearly theme of being more like Jesus. We're going to think today about Jesus as one who was the friend of sinners. We're going to, first of all, take a look at how he treated those who were in sin, those who were enslaved to sin especially. And then I want us to take a look at ourselves to see how we treat those who are slaves of sin. First of all, to look at the example, the life of Jesus Christ, because he is the perfect life, isn't he? In all of these uh, areas that we're looking at this year, we can look to Jesus and He is perfection. As we began the year thinking from Luke chapter 2 about even at an early age, the age of 12, He came and knew that it was His purpose, His mission here to do, to accomplish His Father's will. And as we've gone throughout these lessons this year, whether it's showing compassion to sinners, whether it's being one who was devoted to doing His Father's work while on earth, whatever it is as we're thinking about today, Jesus is the perfect example you can't get any more perfect than himself. So how did Jesus interact and treat sinners? Number one, 
As the title of this lesson suggests, he was the friend of sinners. In the passage, again, that our brother Kerry has already read, I notice here just from verse 19 of, Luke, of Matthew chapter 11. Matthew 11 and verse 19, as Jesus says here that the crowds, the people were saying, that the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds." Jesus here in, John, in Matthew chapter 11 is talking to his fellow Jews about John the Baptist and how, for the most part, they had rejected him. At least the leadership among the Jews had rejected John and they had rejected the teaching of John. They had rejected his message of repent and, and, and uh, uh, be baptized, repent and uh, be ready for the kingdom that is to come. And they had rejected God's purpose for themselves. Most of them have. But then he talks about himself as we come to the passage we just read there at verse 19. How they had not only rejected John, the forerunner of Jesus, but now they had rejected Jesus himself. They had rejected the one who had come as God in the flesh, the one who was God with us, Emmanuel. They had rejected him as the Messiah, the Savior of the world, saying that this man is not the Son of God. This man has not come to fulfill in our minds the prophecies that have been prophesied about the coming Messiah. This man doesn't fit our image of who the Messiah ought to be. They were saying, no, he is quite the opposite, that he is a glutton, that he is a drunkard, that he is a friend of tax collectors and sinners. I want you to see the reputation that Jesus had among his own people. Certainly what they said about him being a glutton and a drunkard was not true. But I think even in what they said about him being a friend of tax collectors and sinners was not something that was to be praised, that they were holding up Jesus and saying, this is a good thing, this is a noble thing, this is why you came to earth. But they were using that in a derogatory way. But really, I believe it was a compliment to Jesus for he came to save, to seek and to save those who are lost. We, we can read throughout the gospel accounts just one conversation after another that Jesus had. One interaction after another that Jesus had with sinners. With a woman maybe who was caught in adultery or someone who was outcast uh, from society in some way. The tax collector, certainly Jesus even calling Levi or Matthew to come and to follow him, that in the Jews' minds, they would have said, this man is not our friend, this man is our enemy. He's working against us. He's working for the Roman government. He's trying to uh, take our funds and give them to a government that we don't want to be under. But all throughout the gospel accounts in the life of Jesus Christ, as is recorded in the scripture, we find that Jesus interacted with sinners, that Jesus engaged them in conversation, that he ate with them, that he touched them. These are things, of course, that the Jewish religious leaders would never do. And yet Jesus showed time and again that he cared for sinners when other leaders of his day did not. Yes, I would suggest to you that Jesus was the friend of sinners but secondly, and to kind of flesh out that first point, he associated with sinners. And we'll just look at a very few examples of this, many that we could cite this morning. I want you to go to the Gospel of Luke for a moment in Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. And notice what is said to us here in verses 1 and 2 of this passage. Luke 15 and verse 1 beginning. Luke says, Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him, near Jesus, to listen to him. 
Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Kind of like, as we just read back there in Matthew's account in Matthew chapter 11, that he is a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Here they are observing, they have been observing Jesus' life. They have been observing the people that he has engaged in conversation. And they are grumbling to themselves saying, this man receives sinners and more than that, he even eats with them. I want you to notice that Luke says here about the tax collectors and sinners at verse 1, that they were coming to Jesus. They were much like a lot of people that the Jews described as sinners are put into that category of sinners. Just people that are unworthy of their time and attention. People that maybe aren't even fully human. <laughs> they're just kind of half human. They're, they're mostly animal because they have given themselves over to sin. And of course, the religious leaders saw themselves as being righteous and holy <laughs> and pious people. But notice that Luke says that these sinners came to Jesus to listen and why did they come to Jesus to listen? Why were they drawn to him? Because they knew the kind of man that he was, because they had listened to his teaching, because they had seen his compassion, because they knew that here was a man who was preaching a message of salvation. Here was a man who could give me a solution to my problem of sin. Notice that they did not come to Jesus seeking necessarily his approval, they, they didn't come to him wanting Jesus to say, you're, you're okay in your sin. You know, Jesus never did that, did he? In all of those conversations that we see with Jesus interacting or talking to sinners, Jesus never said to them, you know, you're, you're committing adultery, you're committing fornication, you are murdering people, you're extorting people, you're bri taking bribes as a tax collector, you're doing all of these sins and it's okay. You just continue on that way. <laughs> I know that the religious leaders of the day that they would condemn you, but I'm not here to condemn you. Jesus never said that. Yes, he did say if you take uh, John chapter 8 as, as that section should be in our text today or in our Bibles today about the woman caught in adultery. He said, who condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. He said, neither do I, but go and sin no more. <laughs> Jesus, of all people, knows what sin does to a person, not only in this life, but certainly in the age to come. And Jesus never just said, you're, you're fine, go your way. He told them, go and sin no more. He provided them the solution for their sin. And so they did not come to Jesus seeking approval from him, but they came, as Luke tells us here, to listen to his message he attracted them by the kind of man that he was, by his love and his care for them. When the religious leaders often wouldn't give them the time of day, Jesus did. He attracted them, I believe, by his message of salvation from their sins, that you may be steeped in sin. You may be a slave to sin and feel like there is no way out, but I am here as the solution to your problem of sin. And they love Jesus because he loved them. You might remember the account of the sinful woman that came in the house of Simon the Pharisee. And Jesus said, as he's observing all of that after a time, he said to Simon, I think as kind of a way of rebuke, this woman loves me. <laughs> this woman knows how much she has sinned against her creator. And therefore, the one who sins more loves more. They understand love more. And they loved him because he took the time to love them. 
want us to also look earlier here in the Gospel of Luke, back in chapter 5. In Luke chapter 5, we see another occasion where Jesus was associating with those who were sinners, those who needed desperately a Savior. Luke chapter 5, beginning at verse 29. And this is after Jesus has called Levi or Matthew to come and to follow him. It says to us in verse 29, And Levi gave a big reception for him in his house, and there was a great crowd of tax collectors and other people who were reclining at the table with them. The Pharisees and the scribes began grumbling at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered and said to them, It is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus didn't just have the reputation of being a friend of sinners, nor being their friend in name only. No, he proved by the life that he lived when he was here upon earth that he was the friend of sinners by regularly rubbing elbows with them. He went to places that the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees and other religious leaders wouldn't dare get near. He interacted again. He engaged with people that they would not engage with. And once again, as we've already read this morning, the Pharisees, they're looking at what is going on here and they are asking why Jesus was eating with sinners. And he replied, this is why I came to earth. This is the very reason. This is the very heart of my mission in coming to earth is not to call the righteous, but it's to call sinners to repentance. Again, it's not to say to sinners, you're okay in the life that you're living. Just keep going and have a, have a happy life and live however you want to. But he came to call sinners to repentance. He knew that these people needed to make a great change in their life. And he knew that he is the Savior. He is the one as God in the flesh who has the power to change people's lives, to radically change people's lives. These were the ones especially who needed a sacrifice for sin. These were the ones who needed a Savior. And as the great physician, his mission again was to heal them of their spiritual sickness, that sickness of sin. How, how else could Jesus heal people? How else could Jesus get people to the point that they would recognize maybe even that they were in sin, that they had a need for a Savior? How could he get them to that point unless he took the time to associate with them? And then, staying here in the Gospel of Luke, I think one of the great examples of this is found in his interaction with this man called Zacchaeus. Over in chapter 19 of the Gospel of Luke, begin reading with me there at verse 1. Luke says that he, Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through and there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him for he was about to pass through that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. When they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. 
And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. I want you to be impressed with the fact here that Jesus befriended Zacchaeus. Luke, I think, tells us, we, we might overlook this little detail about him. I think we all know that he is a tax collector, that he is a rich tax collector. And probably the implication is because of what Zacchaeus says later that he had gotten rich uh, in uh, a way of breaking the law. He had taken in more than he should have just collected for Roman taxes. But Luke tells us here that he was a chief tax collector. And especially being in that position, he would have been in a position of power and authority that he could have taken advantage of his fellow Jews, and maybe they wouldn't have even known that. He was pocketing, it seems, a lot of money on the side for himself. But here, once again, we see Jesus engaging a man whom the Pharisees and scribes and Sadducees, the Jewish religious, religious leaders of the day, would describe as being a sinner. And they observed more than that, Jesus going home with this sinner. And they were just appalled, it seems like, about that. In verse 7, it says, When they saw that, they all began to grumble, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. It's interesting to me, back in verse 5, that it's not Zacchaeus who says, I want you to come to my house. It's Jesus who says, Come down out of that tree. Hurry up. Come down. Because I'm going to your house today. Jesus initiated the conversation here. Jesus wanted to spend time with this man whose life was full of sin. But here are the religious leaders sitting back and they are thinking, they are saying, how can this man really be the Christ? How can he truly be the son of God who he claims to be and associate with that kind of person? Once again, Jesus said here at verse 10, even in verse 9, that salvation today has come to Zacchaeus' house because he too is a son of Abraham. Yes, he had a lot of problems. Yes, he had committed a lot of sins in his life. Yes, he was living a sinful lifestyle. But Jesus could look into the heart of this man named Zacchaeus and he could see that here was a man who had the faith, I think, like Abraham. His life was certainly a total mess. But think about what Luke tells us about Zacchaeus here, that Zacchaeus knew that Jesus was coming. And Zacchaeus hears about him. And Zacchaeus, back in verse 3, is trying to see who Jesus is. And because he is so short, he couldn't see him over the great crowds that were traveling with Jesus. And then verse 4, so he runs on ahead and he climbs up into this tree just to see Jesus when he passes by. To me, that says there is at least some nugget of faith in this man that Zacchaeus has heard enough about Jesus to this point, about the miracles that he has performed, about the message that he has taught, that he knows here is a man who can help me. Here is a man who can save me. And so Jesus once again points the entire crowd, including the religious leaders, back to why he came to earth. Verse 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus associated with sinners, I'm suggesting to you this morning, because he was a friend of sinners. And we've already talked about what a true friend is, right? <laughs> 
You think about some of the wisdom in the book of Proverbs that it's a true friend. It's a true friend who really cares about us spiritually, who cares about our eternal well-being that will sometimes rebuke us, that will sometimes say some things that we don't want to hear, but some things that we need to hear. And Jesus, I believe, proved himself to be that kind of friend. So we may be saying to this point in the lesson, that's great. <laughs> that's great that Jesus came to this earth to seek and to save that which was lost. It's great that Jesus laid down his life. It's great that Jesus did not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. But what does that really have to do with me? And we all need to examine our own hearts and our own lives and ask ourselves very honestly, very candidly, how do I treat those whom maybe we as Christians consider to be sinners, that they are just lost, they are, they are too far gone for the gospel to help, or that the world would consider as being outcast? Here is a question. Am I really like the Pharisees or am I truly like Jesus? Not that we again are condoning their lifestyle of sin, the choices that they have made, but, but we have compassion for them. We have love for them as Jesus did. We know the solution to sin because we have it in the word of God. We have it in the person of Jesus Christ. We know what can cure their ailment in essence. Do I show compassion to those who are in sin? When I run across someone who is maybe given over to a lifestyle of homosexuality, do we show compassion for that person? Do we show a, a, a sympathy, an empathy, not that perhaps we have ever been in their shoes, but we know if they continue down this road where it's going to lead and we know the consequences that they're going to suffer even in this life, much less in the life that is to come. And so we may go out of our way to talk to them about their sinful condition. I know sometimes that, that we may just run into a brick wall, <laughs> But I tell you, people can get to the point like the prodigal son got where you just have to get to a very low point where you realize this isn't working. <laughs> this isn't the right way. That there has to be some other way. There has to be something more to life than what I have experienced. I thought that this was going to bring me a lot of pleasure and a lot of joy and a lot of happiness. And this was going to get me ahead in life. But that person is hit rock, rock bottom. And we need to talk to them about their sinful condition, but not just that. Do we try, as Jesus did, to show them the solution for their sin, that He is the way, that He is the truth, that He is the life? In short, we need to ask ourselves, am I a friend to sinners in the way that Jesus was? If Jesus, who was a sinless Son of God, was a friend to sinners, how can I, a person who has sinned so many times in my life, not be a friend to sinners? and yet claim to still be a follower of his, claim to be a Christian. I like the words of Jesus in John chapter 15. And kind of the, the um, song scripture prayer service last month was along this theme of Jesus being our friend. And Jesus said these words specifically to the 11 it is at this point, his apostles in John chapter 15 beginning at verse 14, he says, you are my friends, Back to verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. 
No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. Think about, again, who Jesus specifically was talking to here in John 15. It is now Jesus, Judas has already left, but it's those 11 men that Jesus himself has chosen. Jesus has handpicked out of all the Jews in the world. These men are to take the good news about salvation in me to the rest of the world. He knew that they were sinners. He, he knew that even at this late point in his ministry, they, they hadn't put everything together yet. <laughs> they didn't understand all about the nature of his kingdom. They didn't understand all about who he was as being the king. But Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. And more than that, he says that he has proven to be their friend and ours because greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Jesus is a friend to every one of us who are children of God. He is such a friend, as he says here in this text, that he willingly laid down his life, joyfully laid down his life for each one of us, for you and for me, so that we can forever be his friend. As we sing sometimes, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. He is our friend. And yes, even as his followers, even like his disciples, his apostles, we still sin from time to time. And thus we are just as much in need of a friend like Jesus as is any other sinner and so that ought to motivate us and that ought to dictate how we interact with those around us who are lost, who are enslaved to sin. We run into these kind of people all the time, don't we? Sometimes maybe we're, we're kind of like the, the Levite <laughs> passed by on the other side. Maybe we see those people out of our peripheral vision, but we don't want to engage them. We don't want to have anything to do with them. Our, our life is just fine like it is. And we don't want to get involved in anybody else's mess. We've got enough mess of our own. But Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Will I, will you, if we are Christians, be a friend to sinners as Jesus has been a friend to me and to you? I hope that we'll be looking for opportunities this week that maybe we can even pray and ask God to give us open doors that we can interact with people who are so, so lost. People who are in desperately, desperately in need of a Savior. And we know where to find Him. And we can take those people to Him. And they can receive salvation for their sin. What about you this morning as we're about to sing healing in its wings? All of us, again, Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, all of us have sinned. All of us fall short of the glory of God. Even on our best days, I'm convinced that we all fall short of the glory of God. One day, we're hoping that we will be there in the presence of God, that we will experience the fullness of His glory. What about you this morning? Are you a child of God? Do you find yourself in need of forgiveness? 
Do you find yourself in need of coming to the light and getting the darkness out of your life? If that's you, this is a perfect opportunity for you to do that. You can come before this good assembly this morning, confess your faith that Jesus truly is the Christ. He is the Son of God. And you can repent of your sins. And I think that's kind of a sticking point for all of us, isn't it? <laughs> we, we want all the blessings of salvation, but we don't want to change. That's just the long and short of it. Sometimes we don't want to change. But God demands that of us if we're going to be right with Him. Repent of your sins and then be buried with Christ. In the waters of baptism, have all your sins washed away. And then you can live for Jesus. You can devote the rest of your life to being more like Jesus. Maybe you have started down that road and you've gotten off the path somewhere. And it may be that you need to just talk to that, talk to God about that privately. It may be that you need to acknowledge that publicly. Maybe you want the prayers and the encouragement and the help of your brothers and sisters here to walk in the way that pleases God. However we can help you this morning, if there is a spiritual need that only Jesus can fill, I want you make that known. I want you make your way to the front now as we stand and as we sing.